So before we get started, I just want to offer a big thanks to Everance Financial for supporting the Morning Agenda. It empowers members to align their investments with their faith and values. You can find out more at everance.com slash centralpen. Securities offered through Concourse Financial Group Securities, Inc., member FINRA, and SIPC. A mid-state city moves to protect immigrants from federal authorities, and state lawmakers are taking aim at swatting. Welcome to The Morning Agenda, WITF's daily news podcast, where the only agenda is you. A good morning to you. It is Thursday, February 29th. Happy Leap Day, by the way, and this is being recorded at 6.20 a.m. I'm your host, Tim Lambert, as we take this daily trip around the region's top stories together. The city of Lancaster has implemented policies that welcome immigrants and prohibits city leaders from seeking information about a person's immigration status. My colleague Gabriela Martinez has the details. Lancaster City Council voted unanimously to pass the Trust Act, which bars local police from enforcing federal immigration law. City officials would not be allowed to seek or collect information about a person's immigration status unless there is a direct threat to public safety or a court order. Mayor Denise Arachi said the ordinance codifies the city's existing practices. In 2019, Lancaster became the first city in Pennsylvania to receive the welcoming city designation. And this process signifies that we have a strong welcoming standard and that we are intentionally fostering belonging in our city. CASA, an immigration rights organization that led the push for a Lancaster Trust Act, says it will continue to work with city government to make sure the law is being implemented. Well, state lawmakers are looking for ways to tackle a surge in false reports to police. My colleague Ben Wasterstein reports it could increase punishment for the dangerous and costly practice known as swatting. Police in York County recently raced to a call from a person who said they had shot someone, took another person hostage, and placed bombs around a Walmart. They quickly learned that the call was false. Swatting has increased across the country so significantly the FBI began a database to track these incidents. Republican Representative Ryan McKenzie of Lehigh County is joining three other Republicans to propose a legislative package to combat these calls. We are seeing an unfortunate rise in swatting incidents, which are harassing individuals and taking away valuable resources from our law enforcement. The first proposal would make it a felony if anyone is injured during a swatting incident. Three others deal with civil issues, such as recovering costs spent by municipalities, granting civil immunity for law enforcement during a swatting incident, and giving the swatting victim the ability to seek judicial relief against the perpetrator. So each morning I go through about a dozen news sites across central Pennsylvania looking for a few stories to put on your radar. And I came across a couple this morning. So here they are. A former Northumberland County sheriff and his wife are suing the county and the community life team for negligence in the stillbirth of their child. The news item reports Chad and Stephanie Reiner have filed the 16-page lawsuit in the county's Court of Common Pleas. They say mistakes were made with emergency dispatching and the Harrisburg-based community life team provided inadequate care. They're seeking more than $375,000 for the wrongful death of Paisley Reiner on September 23, 2022. Now, among the allegations are the couple waited between 45 and 55 minutes for an ambulance. Stephanie Reiner had to walk about 100 feet to the emergency vehicle, and the emergency medical technicians did not use lights and sirens en route to Geisinger Medical Center. 
The company notes physicians said the baby would have lived if Reiner had arrived sooner. Northumberland County has not commented on the suit. Law enforcement in Delaware County is closing the investigation into a shootout and house fire that killed six members of an extended family. 43-year-old Con Lay shot and killed his brother, sister-in-law, and two nieces before setting fire to the home and killing himself. The couple's other child, a 10-year-old boy, died of smoke inhalation. The county district attorney says the February 7th incident in East Lansdowne began when the uncle argued with a 13-year-old niece. His parents fled and survived. Two police officers are recovering from gunshot wounds. Let's take a bit of a deeper dive into a couple of issues impacting communities across central Pennsylvania. The Moses Taylor Foundation has found school nurses are under-resourced and understaffed. Kat Bullis is with our friends at WVIA in Scranton and reports to help solve that problem. The foundation and Penn State Pro Wellness have created the Nurse Mentorship Program. And the idea is to give them the opportunity to hit so many of the intangibles that happen in any career, right? Like I'm all of a sudden in a school all by myself and like I'm not really sure how to approach the administration, right? Or like I have a parent who I'm really struggling to deal with and I don't have any experience in how to manage this. That's Dr. Deepa Shakar from Penn State. The program is in its first year. 30 school nurses are paired up in twos working together. The nurses are also provided with professional development. School nurses are often either the only healthcare professional or one of a few in schools. There must be one school nurse per 1,500 students in Pennsylvania. Christine Marcos is with the Moses Taylor Foundation. She says that ratio was set in the 1950s. The role of a school nurse has drastically shifted since then. If they have even two or three students in that building who are managing a chronic condition like diabetes, that that student might be in their office multiple times per day. Um, And that's not counting all the other students and all the paperwork and the screenings they're in charge of, the immunizations they have to um, check. The role has really evolved, but the, a lot of the policies haven't kept up with the pace. Mary Ann Chandemi from Valley View High School is Jody Cressy's mentor. She's a school nurse at Delaware Valley High School. WVIA News met up with Chandemi in January. She had a recent call with Cressy. They talked for over an hour about COVID protocols for this school year, chronic conditions, and gym injuries. Chindemi has been a school nurse for the Valley View School District for 19 years. That's compared to Cressy's four years. They both graduated with their BSNs from Marywood University and worked in hospitals after graduation. Here's Chindemi. I always say it's, it's difficult being the medical entity in an educational realm. Cressy signed up for the program to help provide the best care she can for her students. There's some days when I call her and I'm like, so I'm seeing this in my office. What do you think is the best way to handle it? The Moses Taylor Foundation started looking at school health in 2018. The issue of school nurses kept coming up as the fact that school nurses are really on the front lines of a lot of health issues. That's Marcos again. There was an assessment from the National Association of School Nurses. And that's probably the, f- the first time we heard about this gap in that oftentimes school nurses are working alone in their building, if not their district. The foundation provided a grant to Penn State Pro Wellness for the program. Shakar says the worldwide nursing shortage impacts school nurses as well. There's many reasons why nurses don't go into the field. They work long hours, there's high rates of burnout, and the kids are medically complex. Plus, the pay is lower than in hospitals. 
is a lot, right? On top of all the routine things, right? Like the school health screenings that have to be reported to Department of Health. Shakar says ultimately the goal of the program is to get nurses to stay in the field. Back at Valley View. But the mental health component has really, really changed. There are more kids with anxiety and depression. And Chindemi says those issues are more pronounced post-COVID. It was a big adjustment for kids. At one point in her career, Chandemi was managing medication for nine students with diabetes. We step up to the plate and do what we have to do as school nurses. We always did. Reporting from Archibald, I'm Kat Bolas. The U.S. Army is correcting the records of 110 black soldiers who were wrongfully convicted in 1917, including one from Altoona. Sydney Roach with our friends at WPSU and State College brings you the story of William Nesbitt. William C. Nesbitt was a sergeant with the 3rd Battalion, 24th Infantry Regiment. It was one of the all-black Buffalo Soldiers units. Nesbitt, an Altoona native, was stationed in Texas during World War I, where he got involved with the Houston riots of 1917. It was a response to months of racist abuse from Houston police. That's according to Harriet Gaston, a community historian at Penn State Altoona. Word got back to the camp that one of them had been killed. This put all the rest of the men in such an uproar that they were going to fight. Unfortunately, it resulted in a chaos and deaths. The U.S. Army convicted 110 black soldiers of mutiny, assault, and murder. All of the soldiers were represented by the same person, who was not a lawyer, and no appeals were allowed. The Army hanged 19 soldiers, including Nesbitt. One of his descendants joined other living relatives and the South Texas College of Law in 2020 to ask the Army to review the case. Gaston says the Army agreed to set aside the convictions in November of last year. The ceremony that is happening today is revealing and showing those headstones and recognizing the the unjust trial that occurred and stating that the U.S. Army made a mistake and wants to give back the honor that these men so deserve. Nesbitt did not have a headstone when he was first buried. A headstone added later did not mention his military service. The new headstone at the Fort Sam Houston National Cemetery in Texas will display his name, birthplace, military rank, and date of death, December 11, 1917. In Altoona, I'm Sydney Roach. As always, I'd like to remind you that The Morning Agenda is available anywhere you find your favorite podcast and on WITF's YouTube channel, which you can subscribe to. You can also find us through the NPR app. And be sure to check out our monthly Spotify playlist of my songs of the day. This month's is wrapping up today. It's the final day of February. So it's the final day for The Morning Agenda Song of the Day, February 2024. And my last song of the month is from The Offspring, the kids aren't all right. A big thanks to Everence Financial for supporting The Morning Agenda, empowering members to align their investments with their faith and values. You can learn more at everence.com slash centralpen. Securities offered through Concourse Financial Group Securities, Inc., member FINRA and SIPC. And that is going to do it for The Morning Agenda today. It's a daily news podcast from WITF, where the only agenda is you. I'm your host, Tim Lambert. Thank you so much for listening. Your company is always appreciated and never taken for granted. Be well, enjoy the rest of this day, and we'll talk again tomorrow.